Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we do business consulting, corporate trainings, and one-on-one coaching for people who want to communicate more confidently and persuasively. If you're new to the show, we also offer a free one-on-one coaching session for listeners. If there's a negotiation or conflict that you're struggling with and you want to chat, feel free to reach out. I'd love to help. All you need to do is click on the link in the description to set it up. Our guest today is Laura Peterson. Laura is a teacher turned entrepreneur, podcast producer, and digital nomad. She recently published Copywriting for Podcasters and instantly hit the Amazon bestseller list in the US and Canada. In her business, she uses her mastery of psychology and business experience to help professionals write books and create online copy that accelerates their businesses. When we negotiate, we often find ourselves in a position where a significant portion of the negotiation is done online via email. Laura is the perfect guest to talk about this because of her expertise in persuasive writing and psychology. In this episode, Laura shares the differences between negotiating in person and negotiating via email, the common pitfalls you need to avoid in email negotiations, and how you can use email as a tool to maximize your power to persuade. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the review of the week. Uh, The title is Clear, Creative, and Concise. Mr. Christian does a great job of explaining negotiation principles and teaching people how to incorporate them in everyday life. He also routinely brings in interesting guests that bring unique perspectives to interesting topics. So thank you very, very much for that review. Um, One little critique with the review, (laughs) you called me Mr. Christian, which makes me feel old. I'm just Kwame. I'm a normal dude. But yes, thank you very much for that. And it means a lot to me. And if you want to get your review uh, read on the show, just go to iTunes or whatever podcast player you're using and and leave a review there. I read them all and I genuinely appreciate uh, the kind words you leave. So thank you for that. Lastly, before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, FreshBooks. Remember, as a listener, you get a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, which is an easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners. All you need to do is click the link in the description if you're interested in trying it out. And now, without further ado... Let's jump into the interview. Laura, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kwame. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So on social media, I'm Laptop Laura. (laughs) And that comes a bit from the fact that I'm always working on my laptop because I definitely consider myself a digital nomad, an entrepreneur who can work anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, if I just met someone new, I would tell them that I'm a podcast and book launch strategist. Ah, very cool. Okay. So how'd you get into this? Well, you can ask me more direct details because I could tell the long version of the story, but a shorter version is I'm a big nerd. I loved school and education. So I was always studying and started as an English major in college, but I started taking psychology classes and just fell absolutely head over heels in love for everything with psychology. So I switched my major to that. 
and did a bachelor's in psychology with a minor in German. And then I did a master's in education and I taught high school math and psychology both for about five years. And then I taught community college even after I left the high school while I was growing businesses. So I taught community college level psychology for I think is about seven years and also started a tutoring and test prep company as my first business that actually worked. And then the past few years, I got especially into digital marketing and leveraging compelling copies. So the written word in an enticing way to help businesses get more of what they want. Traffic, leads, opt-ins, sales, and connection with their audience. Very nice. And for the listeners who have been listening to the show for a while, you can see automatically why I had Laura on the show <laughs> because she is a fellow psychology nerd. So yes. uh, for the new <laughs> listeners, I, my degree is in psychology. My bachelor's in psychology too, even though I have the master's in public policy and the law degree, still practicing law, but psych is what's really cool to me. So I'm glad to have you here. Yeah. And I'm so excited. You were on my show as well. So I have a podcast called Copy That Pops. And you were a guest on there. And that conversation is probably one of my absolute favorite episodes because we just nerded out like crazy on psychology. So this will be round two. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll, um, yeah. if, if this goes live after that episode, I'll put a link to that episode too in the yes. uh, description for awesome. the listeners to get into that. <laughs> one of the other reasons I wanted to have you on the show was because of your proficiency in blending psychology and persuasion with the written word. Because to date, we haven't had anybody on the show talk about how to persuade people in written word form, whether it's in marketing or in emails. But a lot of times that's how negotiations start. So I wanted mm -hmm. to have you on to talk about that. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I have a podcast and I started that with the intention of improving my speaking because that was something that I didn't naturally love as much. I find more comfort in writing and we can kind of talk about some ways that writing is actually a beneficial way to start communicating because you have more time to process it and think it through. So although I have a podcast, I think that I myself am most comfortable in writing. So I default to that. So I'm excited to focus on that as a topic with you specifically. Nice. Well, let's just start there because yeah. you mentioned that there's some benefits to persuading via writing versus a mm -hmm. uh, using oral communication. Can you talk about that a little bit? When it comes to persuasion and communication and language and word choice, there are so many overlaps for whether you're doing it written or in the spoken way. So a lot of things that people have been learning on your show so far, you can apply to the writing. So there is a lot of overlap. But what I think some benefits come from writing is the first one is you have more time to think it through and be more deliberate in your choice of words and your choice of presentation. So that's why I tend to like the writing a bit more is because I don't feel that pressure of performance where if you're speaking, you're on the spot, you have to communicate right now exactly what you intend. Whereas with writing, you can sit down, you can eliminate all distractions. The other person isn't watching you as you're preparing it. So you're able to just really focus and choose how you want to communicate with the proper time to kind of process it. You can even write it all out, get it all out, put it aside, sleep on it, come back, look at it 
the next morning with fresh eyes, which I really recommend for anything that's super important. Because when you look at it with fresh eyes, sometimes you're like, whoa, I didn't even know I wrote that. (laughs) So you can really (laughs) have a chance to tweak and adjust and make sure that it's not inciting more emotion in a negative way and you're communicating it how you intended and things like that. So I think having more time to plan it through is a great benefit. A second one I would point out is to have proof of communication. So if you're speaking and it's not being recorded, then it's kind of a he said, she said situation. But with writing and communicating and negotiating the written word, everything is captured and documented for reference later, which I think is a great advantage. I love that. And one of the reasons why is because, like you said, sometimes after you write something, you come back the next day and you you look at the writing, you're like, why? What was I thinking? Huh? Mm-hmm. Now I can edit this. That's a much better problem to have than having a conversation, saying something regrettable, and then uh, waking up the next morning like, why in the world did I say that? Right. <laughs> so uh, it is a much safer mode of communication in that way. And also, as you know, there's emotional regulation that happens at night. So um, one of the magical powers of sleep is that it helps you to regulate your emotions. So if you are super furious at going to bed, most likely, if your brain is working the right way, you should wake up a little bit calmer in the morning. And that's a much better state of mind to engage in persuasion, especially if we're having a difficult conversation. That is a great point. And you might get a little bit of therapy, you know, letting it all out in writing the night before. And then after you're able to kind of sleep it off, look at it with fresh eyes, that emotion is down, but maybe you still had a bit of the therapeutic practice to get it out without actually sending it. And then you can do some revisions to make sure it's going to hit the right target and not make things worse, but actually make it better. Exactly. And to your other point of showing proof of communication, that is an Mm -hmm. underrated value to email communication, especially. And so whether or not it's you're conducting the entire negotiation via email, I always like to supplement the negotiation with emails so we can have a memorialization Mm -hmm. of what Mm -hmm. was said, because there are two things that could happen. One, somebody could lie or two, somebody could forget. And sometimes the line between those two is very thin. So one of the things that I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast, I don't really talk much about deception per se, because a lot of times what appears to be deception is just faulty memory and human memory is really fallible, incredibly fallible. So you want to supplement what you're saying with uh, written communication, if possible, especially if things are going in your favor. Definitely. Yeah. And even, you know, you yourself, the communicator, you're going to be forgetting things too. It's not just the other person. So there's sometimes it's nice if there's a long email chain, you can refer back to what you said, what you promised or what the other person said and what they promised. So you're not only relying on your own memory as well to inform the next thing that you say. Oh, yeah, that is a really good point. One thing that I like to do at the end of my emails is at the end, kind of extrapolating from a a communication technique called the empathy loop. So Mm -hmm. if you are in a conversation with somebody and you want to make sure everybody's on the same page, you start off by saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm understanding that you're saying X, Y, Z, or I'm understanding that we are at this point of X, Y, Z. Is that right? And then you give the person the opportunity to correct you. And so Mm -hmm. it leads to quicker understanding. And so I take that same tactic and use it in the email and say, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but this was my understanding of our conversation. If there's anything in there that's incorrect, let me know, because then it gives them the opportunity to either correct you or not. So if Mm -hmm. anything's off, they've had their chance to speak up. It's almost like uh, speak now or forever. Hold your peace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's an amazing technique. And it really gets at the fact that I truly believe everything can be solved with clear communication. So if we are using words or we have a different understanding of the situation, we're never going to be able to arrive, or at least I shouldn't say never. And that's one of my tips too, is don't use strong words like that, but it'll be more difficult to arrive at an agreement later if we're not sort of on the same page or communicating with the same words or meanings and things like that. So your technique is a great way to say, okay, let's make sure we're comparing apples to apples and then from there we can move forward. And sometimes just one word might be a difference that's in contention. And once we clear that up, we can definitely move forward from there. Absolutely. And it's such a powerful tool for understanding, especially in um, complex situations. So you have the benefit of memorializing a response to what might be a complex question, but also it could allow you to skip a lot of these, the perfunctory parts of a conversation because you have that negotiation, that part of the negotiation via email beforehand, and it allows you to focus on higher level things once you get to the actual negotiation table, because you've already addressed those things and you've reached a common level of understanding so you could have a higher level conversation. I love that. Nice. Well, cool. Well, let's talk about some of the differences between persuading in uh, person orally versus persuading via written word. Are there any differences? And if there are, what, what are they? Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't know if it's a old wives tale or if it's a scientific fact, but they say that 80% of communication is nonverbal. So at least when you're together, it's not just what you're saying, but it's your facial cues, your body language, the tone of your voice. I could say, you're funny. Or I can say, you're funny. (laughs) It's the exact same words, but the way that you say it are completely different. And the way that my face and my body is also adding to that makes such a difference. So we lose those extra cues when we're writing. So that is a potential pitfall for writing where maybe you're going to have a misunderstanding because some of those cues are absent. For me to help that out, one thing I do love is using emoticons or emojis. Mm -hmm. And I know that isn't professional in every industry. So you have to take that, you know, for your own situation. For me as an entrepreneur, I have a business that is built around me and my personality and I'm easygoing. I have a teacher background, so it's not the legal field. So you'll have to jump in Kwame and say whether, you know, (laughs) if you ever see that coming up in communication, but I like to throw in smiley faces or winks and things like that. When I am making a joke, just to kind of soften the tone of it, because otherwise something for just its own words could be misconstrued. Absolutely. And I'm glad you added that disclaimer because different (laughs) people require different kinds of communication. So uh, for those of you who don't know, in addition to the consulting, I still have my law firm working with business clients and doing uh, commercial negotiations in, in that way, contract negotiations. So when I'm dealing with opposing counsel, I keep it pretty straight laced, I guess, kind of boring. But then I allow my personality to shine when I'm talking because a lot of times some of these situations are positioned or they are initially framed as competitive or combative. And so I don't want 
something that I say as a joke to be taken the wrong way by somebody who doesn't know how to take a joke. <laughs> but <laughs> with my clients, though, both on the consulting side and the legal side, I, I use emojis all day. Because the thing is, I'm at a point in the business where I want to work with people that are fun to work with. You know, so if you're not a kind of person that can handle that, then we, you know, there are lots of other lawyers or consultants out there. And so I guess the point is there, the closeness of the relationship should dictate whether or not you have that type of communication. So with you and your clients, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, we're cool. I can talk about <laughs> that. But then for me and opposing counsel, uh, right. <laughs> that, would, that wouldn't work as well. Right. And I mean, that's a great point to also say you have to know your audience to whom you're writing makes a difference. Because if you're using smiley faces to opposing counsel, and that's going to make them think less of you or think that you're not professional or you're not adhering to the proper standards of that industry, then that's going to actually hurt you. Whereas in other situations, it might hurt you not to use it because it's not showing your personality and where that is appropriate. So just like any communication, whether that's spoken or written, you need to know who your audience is. So you make sure that you're conveying things in a way that it's going to be received by them the way that you want. Exactly. And not only knowing the audience, but also knowing their current mental or emotional state as yes. much as possible. So one of the rules of thumb I use when I'm participating in a negotiation or I'm trying to manage conflicts via email is that the more emotions and negative emotions that might be at play, the closer and more personal the communication needs to be. So if somebody is livid, I would keep the email short and try to parlay that into an in-person meeting or a call as soon as possible. Because when you have that negative mindset, you're more likely to mm. interpret negativity and bad mm -hmm. intentions into the writings of others when you have somebody saying something ambiguous like you're funny. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's tough. It's really tough. So the way that I do it is at least when things get more heated, I try to reach out in person so people don't misinterpret what I say. Yeah. Another thing that I just thought of to add to that, which I think is spot on, is when something is very emotionally heated, I'll often change my language to be a bit less first person directed at them and more third person. So instead of saying, you forgot to reach out to the client, and that is why they're requesting a refund, I might say something like, the client didn't get notification from us, therefore, he's upset or whatever. So I would try mm -hmm. to kind of, with my language, with my wording, deflect and not put as much of a focus on that person. So they don't feel like I'm blaming them or coming at them directly, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That is brilliant because um, it, it, it's in line with a classic rhetorical technique where if you make a mistake, typically that's where you want to use the passive voice. So if uh -huh, a CEO uh -huh. has gotten in trouble and the company's <laughs> going downward, you don't come up and say, I made a mistake. Most of them would say, mistakes were made. Right. And so that, I think uh, what you're talking about kind of gives you a good opportunity to use that type of situation, that type of rhetorical approach. Passive voice typically isn't preferred, but it is a good tool if you want to deflect. <laughs> exactly. Before we finish up this episode, I have a few questions for you. Does your job do professional development training? Are you looking for a workshop for your next conference? 
Does your profession require effective communication or dispute resolution? If so, a negotiation training seminar might be what you need. I've had the opportunity to do these trainings around the country, and I'd love to swing by your neck of the woods. Our customized negotiation seminars are as fun as they are informative. You'll not only discover the keys to negotiation and persuasion, you'll also have the opportunity to practice these skills in a safe environment with a negotiation simulation. And at the end of the seminar, you'll be able to communicate confidently, resolve disputes effectively, and get what you want out of your next negotiation. And as an added bonus, if you let us know far enough in advance, we can get these trainings certified for continuing education credits. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email to learn more. Here on Negotiate Anything, we teach you how to make difficult conversations easier. Our sponsor, FreshBooks, is all about making the dreaded, difficult, day-to-day admin and paperwork easier for small business owners. FreshBooks has devoted 14 years to transforming those feelings of dread into delight, and it's been working. They've been able to do this by creating a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software program, and they've helped millions of people feel more organized, work smarter, and get paid faster. With FreshBooks, you can fire off an invoice in less than 30 seconds, you can set up online payments with two clicks, and even track expenses on the fly, and that is just a glimpse of what FreshBooks can do for you. As someone who hates paperwork, I can tell you that FreshBooks is the go-to platform if you want to drastically minimize and simplify your paperwork. And I have some good news. FreshBooks is now offering an unrestricted free 30-day trial to all listeners of Negotiate Anything. And all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com negotiate and enter Negotiate Anything in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And now, back to the show. So what kind of psychological barriers or principles might be at play when, when we're trying to persuade via yeah. email? Okay. So the first thing that I think of is we humans are getting so much information thrown at us all the time. And even more so in today's climate with the internet and things moving so quickly. So we have to make decisions very quickly about information thrown at us. And this actually pulls back even to evolutionary psychology as well. You know, if you turn a corner and you're a caveman back hundreds of thousands of years and you turn a corner and you see someone you don't know, you have to analyze extremely quickly immediately. Is this a threat or is this a friend that I can trust? So our brains are designed to make decisions quickly with the information that we get. And so even online, even if you're looking at an email and you open it up, all the input, the sensory input that's coming at us is going to lead us to making a very quick instant gut decision about what we see. Now, and what I'm going at here first is even just, does this seem interesting? Does this seem overwhelming? Does this seem confusing? Does this seem combative? Does this seem welcoming? There's so many different ways that we could see something visually. And our gut reaction is going to be made in milliseconds. We'll say you have a max of three seconds, but it's even faster than that. From there, once we make a gut reaction about something, confirmation bias starts to set in. And confirmation bias is our tendency to look for evidence that reinforces our previous belief, which we all can see very evidently, especially with holiday season coming up, where you're with a family member who has a different political or religious point of view than you do. And you can look at the same piece of news or or evidence, and each of you will see 
and focus on different elements of that to reinforce the beliefs that you already have, which is why I try not to get into political or religious debates with people if if I know that we're not on the same page already because it just kind of goes nowhere. But with your email, if you open it up and the first thing you see are just giant blobs of long, heavy paragraph text, your gut reaction is going to be overwhelm, confusion, etc. Maybe a reluctance to even want to keep going. And so as you go through, you might be looking for other ways to reinforce that this is confusing or this is overwhelming or this is too much or this is annoying versus if you take the approach of trying to make sure that the visual components of your email, as soon as you open up, make it clear, easy to scan, easy to read, easy to comprehend, then the person is coming at it with a gut reaction of a more positive, more open feeling to looking at your information. So I'm a really strong proponent of not having giant blobs of text that go on and on without break, which actually you have to throw out some of those rules that we learned back in school. So academic papers were very much like verbose and just pack a paragraph and make a paragraph six, seven you know, sentences long. But when you're communicating with email and very much so online across the board, not just email, I really truly believe that just a couple of lines and then you got to hit that enter key twice and break it up and use bold or bullet points to communicate things more clearly in more bite-sized chunks. So it's easier for people to process and not feel so overwhelmed by the information that's there. Oh, this is, I love this. This is really (laughs) cool. Essentially, it's the difference between putting a big plate of food in front of somebody and feeding them bite by bite. It seems a lot, it's a lot easier to digest if you're eating the information, consuming the information in smaller bite-sized chunks with these mini paragraphs than seeing the the big block of text. Because the thing is, our mind can play tricks on us. So even though objectively speaking, you might have the exact same amount of words in the email, our brain will register this as something that requires a lot more cognitive load. And as a result, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So even though we're using the same amount of cognitive effort to go through this email, it will feel a lot heavier because of the way that things are broken down. So I think that's a really brilliant point. Breaking down those emails into smaller bite-sized chunks would make it a lot easier for the other person to digest. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm a nerd for reading and writing, but if I open an email that's just a giant blob or if I fall on a website that's a giant blob, I literally will just stop. I can't do it. It's just we have so much we have to process that it's hard to keep track of what line you're on. Your eyes will kind of lose track from one line to the next. And I'm like, wait, did I already read that? It's just so much more to process versus when someone breaks it up into nice bite-sized chunks, uses bullets. Like if you're going to list out five reasons, give it to me in some bullet points instead of a giant old paragraph and I can scan it a lot easier. So I think just the visual way that we communicate in email is underlooked at, but can have a huge positive benefit for communication, clarity, and just making things go faster for both parties involved. Absolutely. And I know that there are going to be some listeners out there who are listening to this and saying, why are we talking about how to write a pretty email? But it goes <laughs> it goes a lot deeper than the prettiness of this email. Because the thing is, like I said before, we were talking about cognitive load and the perceived amount of cognitive load it'll take to get through this email. Making decisions takes a lot of cognitive effort. 
And so if at the end of this blob of text you presented them with, they need to now make an analysis and then figure out which decision is in their best interest, they're going to make the decision that requires the least amount of cognitive effort, which is typically no. In the book, Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss, he was on the podcast last December, he talked about how no means safety for people. And you remember earlier, Laura, you were talking about how people make a split-second decision about things. If their split-second decision is, wow, this takes a lot of mental energy, this is scary, it's daunting, I don't want to do this, all of these feelings of dread are going to be associated with the persuasive arguments that are embedded within this blob that, (laughs) that you've given them. And so you are taking away the persuasive strength of what you're saying because you've depleted their cognitive resources that they would have allocated toward determining whether or not this was a good decision to make. Yeah, that's a great way of summarizing it. And another thing too is, you know, when we talk about persuasion and interpersonal relationships of any kind, you need that likability factor. And if someone is dreading opening your emails, because they know they're just going to find this giant blob of stream of consciousness, your likability factor is going to be going down, even if it's just within the context of writing. And it's going to deplete your ability to build that rapport and connection and help move the process forward. Absolutely. Man, see, this is what happens when we talk <laughs> with each other. We just, it goes Time on, it goes on. Before we end though, I want to ask you about your perspective mm-hmm. on using email as a tool to frame or reframe the discussion. Well, I think that it's a great tool. And in discussions where things are heated with emotion or sensitive because of money or you know maybe a business issue that comes up, people often throw in their other biases or their other perspectives or start to feel overwhelmed and feel like the problem is bigger than it is. And so I think with writing, with the time and the distance for both parties to communicate, we're able to then reframe things and calm the emotions down and say, okay, let's look at this in a more productive way. How can we take some of that ego out of it and not make it about us, but make it about let's drill down into what the problem actually is and the steps that we can take to solve that problem so that both sides feel like they are coming to a group decision that's beneficial for both and neither has lost too much. Exactly. Yeah. And what's cool about this is that like the power of reframing is is another one of those things that's often overlooked in negotiation and really just conversation in general, because it colors the entire, your perception of the interaction. I was reading this book this morning called oh, Self-Esteem. Yeah, it was a <laughs> really hard name to remember, but um, <laughs> Self-Esteem. And they were talking about the power of framing within your own mind, but they gave a great example of what framing is. And they said, imagine you had a nightmare when you wake up, you might have a cold sweat and your heart might be racing. But the reason you feel that way is because at the time you think it's real. That's Mm -hmm. your perception. But then you wake up and then you realize, oh, it's a dream. What you saw and felt didn't change, but your perception of what you experienced did change. And so we can do the same thing with our negotiations too, with the email. If somebody is framing this issue as something that's really combative, 
we could reframe it in terms of an opportunity to understand. So we can mm-hmm. say, I appreciate you voicing your concerns so clearly to me. You're helping me to get a better understanding of this situation. I'd like to set up a time with you to chat more about this issue so I could learn more about your perspective too. When would work for you? And so if you respond that way, where they were coming at you in a combative way, you respond in a way that says, oh, I'm not here to fight. I'm just here to learn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just here to understand what was going on in your world. It's difficult. If you do a good job of framing, it's difficult for them to break that frame and then become unreasonable again, because then it makes it clear that they're the bad person in it and nobody wants to be seen as the bad person. Right. That's a good point. Perfect. Well, let's move on to the takeaways for the audience. When it comes to becoming an effective communicator and persuader via email or any other type of writing, what type of mindset do you think is required in order to be effective? Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm forgetting where I heard it, but uh, I think it's a a famous psychologist. I can't remember the name. We might have to look it up later and put in the show notes, (laughs) but he said, nothing is as important as when we are thinking about it. So, in a way, I feel like when we're coming to something that is something we need to negotiate, something that is a problem, something that is an issue that we feel like such a big deal right then, I think a great perspective to have and mindset to have is take a breath. In five years, is this really going to matter? In five weeks, is this really going to matter? Maybe not even in five days. So it doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be addressed. But give yourself a little bit of that perspective to realize that this is not as important as it feels right now because I'm so emotionally invested in it and vice versa for the other person. So I think just having that mindset can kind of help calm your own emotions and ties to it so that you can come at it more objectively rather than with that subjective emotion that's tied up into it. Very cool. Yeah, that sounds like um, what Cialdini was talking about in Presuasion. When he Mm. mentioned uh, things, he said that we don't think about things because they're important. Things are Mm -hmm. important to us because we think about it. And so if we have this tunnel vision on this issue, it's going to look so much bigger than what it really is. And that can cause issues when it comes to creating a good perspective. I was also reading this book this week called The Tools. A really interesting book on uh, psychology, how you can mm-hmm. master your own psychology and break through some barriers that you're experiencing personally. It's like they took the what you said about the five-year perspective to the absolute extreme. And they said, we want you to think about your deathbed, like the deathbed version of yourself. Uh-huh. What would he or she say about the way you're acting or the way you're approaching this situation? Because when you're on your deathbed, (laughs) there are very few things that you're thinking about. And most likely a petty squabble isn't going to be on your list of major concerns. Mm -hmm. And so, but again, it's essentially saying exactly what you were saying. Taking that expanded view on time and life will give you better perspective when it comes to showing up being your best self in these conversations or when it comes to drafting these types of documents. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a couple other things if you'd like. Yes, please. Absolutely. Uh, Another thing I believe in, and I mentioned it earlier, but I really, I think that if you come at these types of situations, these negotiations with the mindset that everything can be solved with good communication and coming at it like that versus like, this person sucks. They're unreasonable. You can never do anything with them. I think having that mindset of, okay, 
we can find a solution as long as we, you know, keep moving forward in a good direction. And just having that positive outlook on it, I think can really make a difference. And it'll come out in your communication as well. And people will sense that you're open and you're positive about where it can go versus if you're, you know, have the negative side of things. The other thing I would say is similar to, I think is the Hippocratic Oath for medical doctors of do no harm. I feel like if we come at it with that approach as well, of just don't make the situation worse and try to make sure that you're not using words that are going to incite emotions even more and make things more difficult, you know, kind of if things are spiraling, make them spiral up in a positive way and not down. So try not to do anything to make things worse. And that really comes out in your choice of words. And like when we talked about some tips earlier, like make stuff more passive versus directly accusing someone. Another thing I think that is impactful, and this is for any communication, especially with business and not just in emails, but to focus on the benefits of the, uh, to the other person. So instead of focusing on maybe what they have to give up to make a compromise, focus on the things you know that they really want and are going to benefit out of coming to an agreement together. This is incredible. This is, that's really <laughs> good stuff. Oh, and so let me ask you something on that last point, sure. because I know a lot of times when it comes to difficult conversations, they say, don't use the word you because it seems accusatory. But what you're saying here is that you want to put the spotlight on the other person when it comes to talking about benefits. And I've heard that a lot when it comes to marketing. You want to use the word you because it shows that your focus is on them. So when it comes to like these negotiations, how do we draw that distinction? How do we know when we should use the term you versus making it more passive? Well, you know, I feel like you could do a combination of that as well. So instead of saying you, you could also just focus on the benefits. So you could say like, if we come to the agreement of XYZ, here is what's going to happen. $500 will be refunded. And you know, that's to that person. So they're like, oh, okay, good. I wanted that. And also on our end, we're going to change our policy so that future clients don't feel, you know, jaded in the, or, you know, taken advantage of in this way, X, Y, Z. So if you're able to outline what some of the results are with an agreement of people coming together, and it's focusing on the things that, you know, they're going to feel like are a win for them, then that can be a great way of showing them that you've listened, showing them that making some concessions in one area are going to also allow them to receive benefits in another area. So I think that even if you don't use the word you directly, I think focusing on those benefits of agreements coming together can kill both of those birds with the same stone. I like it. Very cool. <laughs> and what is a resource that you'd suggest to people who want to improve their persuasive writing skills? Yeah, well, you just mentioned it. Persuasion by Dr. Cialdini. And also the book Influence, which I cannot believe I did not read until very recently. And now I have them on loop. I'm obsessed with them. They are amazing. <laughs> so both of those books by Dr. Cialdini, he's a psychology professor out of ASU. It's very focused on social psychology and psychology of ourselves and how we can apply that to influencing others, negotiating and not in a manipulative way, because I think sometimes people instantly have red flags up when they hear that, like, oh, well, I don't want to manipulate people. And it's not about that. It's just about 
making your message, giving your message the most conducive environment to be effective for mutual benefit of both parties. And by learning a bit more about psychology, you're really able to implement those. As I listen, I think of all these incredible ideas of things that I can do on tweaks I can make on my own website and my own podcast. So I'm always thinking of new ideas based on research that's being shared. So I would recommend those two books for sure. Another thing, you know, as we talked about very, very briefly is evolutionary psychology. I love that. I'm obsessed with it. And it looks at why we are the way we are now based on the evolution of our genes over hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. So our modern environment that we find ourselves is very small portion of the environment that our genes have been functioning in. So we can see a lot of insights to ourselves and our behavior based on the environment that our genes were developing in for for many, 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 many years. So it focuses on survival of the fittest, sexual selection, which has to do with why do people choose one mate over another? Anyway, it is slightly tangential, but I feel like you can get a lot of insights as well into how we interact and communicate and are motivated as people overall. So I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from that too. That's my favorite branch of psychology. Well, yeah. I'd say it's either that or social psych. They're in a we tandem the for same. me. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. really cool. And it really does help people to understand and get more insight into the why they think the way they think and helps to explain the behaviors of others. And really, at the end of the day, it's great to change people's minds. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we change their behaviors as well. So evolutionary psychology is going to be your best friend when it comes to really understanding that. Good point. <laughs> nice. Well, this was awesome. Thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Can you tell the audience again about your show and where they can find you? Sure. So if you go to copythatpops.com, that is the main headquarters for everything. So you can find a link to my podcast show notes in there. You can also search Copy That Pops on iTunes and find the show there. Also, if you're interested in writing a best-selling book, then I've got a course. I also work with clients one-on-one for consulting or done-for-you services. So I'm really focused on book writing and using a book to leverage that for more in your business. Yes, but copythatpops.com is a good headquarters for everything. Fantastic. So I will put a link to that in the description. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you again, Laura. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I was so excited to be on the show and I'm sure we'll have many more conversations in the future because we're both nerds for the same things. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're finding this information helpful, please remember to leave a review and subscribe. Our goal is to teach this to as many people as possible. And every time you leave a review, it makes it easier for people to find us in the search engines. With your support and listenership, we've grown to the point where we are now the number one ranked negotiation podcast, and we have listeners in 140 different countries. We appreciate your continued support, and please continue to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Remember, everybody who connects with me gets a personal message from me eventually. It takes time because uh, more and more people have been reaching out, but I want to hear from you, and we actually get to chat. So continue to reach out. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you in the next one.